Locks in the Bagel is a production of Kenjamin Media. If you have a question you'd like us to answer on the air, or you'd like to make a comment, or you have a show idea for us, please leave us a voice message at 503-770-0263. 503-770-0263. I think pants have a place in the world, sure. But when you're alone for 10 months and you're just living in a, an apartment or a house, I think pants have much less of a place. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. I am more comfortable without pants. I mean, this conversation is going way off off track on many levels, but I am much more comfortable these days without pants, and I, I just feel kind of a... Like, why shouldn't we be comfortable in this pandemic era? What is more important than feeling comfortable? Well, health, you could... Eating, argue. yeah. There, yeah, sure, a couple of other things, whatever. But anyway, let's Shelter. go... Yeah. Chuck, seafood? What did you say? Shelter. Oh, I thought you said seafood. Okay. Sure, seafood, shelter, whatever. Pick your poison. So I was thinking in the second season of Locks in the Bagel, the podcast, uh, which this is the first episode of, by the way, I was thinking that maybe you and I should create our own theme song and sing it together because we're both known <laughs> we're both known for our incredible singing voices. I think the opera fiasco of 1992, yeah, notwithstanding, I think we're both known for being incredible, having incredible voices. Mm-hmm. We we could we could come up with a. A theme song. A theme song just like a one-off, or do we have to sing it every every week? Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, it depends on how much pain we want to inflict on ourselves. I would say in that scenario, every week. If not, one time. Yeah, I'm, I'm reconsidering the whole thing. Just the thought of having to sing a song... Mm-hmm. It's making me um, ill. ill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ill was the right word. I was thinking of another word, but ill would be appropriate. Okay. <laughs> I, I have the lyrics, too. It goes a little something like this. No, I don't have the lyrics. I just wanted to lead into the song, but I, I like that kind of lead-in. It's, it reminds me of like a nightclub singer in New York. Something like, it's, it's about love, it's about sex, it's about plant life, and it goes a little something like this. Jimmy? You know, that kind of thing, but... You know what we need for this podcast? Nat, Nat King Cole used to do that. Yeah, Nat King Cole. Sure, he works. He's good enough. You yeah, know. Yeah, you know yeah. what we really need yeah. for this podcast hmm. is a, a podcast uh, piano player. We, oh, we don't yeah. have a piano player. No, we do not. Yeah. Every podcast needs a piano player. I think that's pretty much the new standard in podcasting. Yeah. You say, take us out, Jimmy. Play okay. us out. Ah, it's something to think about. Anyway, let's talk about love. Romantic love, the myth, the reality, false promises, the true promises. Okay, 20 yeah. seconds. Go. I got I got Bubkiss. Uh it romantic love is a construct. Yeah, like everything else. Welcome to the world. Yeah. Did you have something specific in mind you wanted to sort of you wanted to start you know, you, that was a very open kind of Pop fly. I don't know what, what. What did you want me to do with that? I'm going to start right off at the front of the podcast with the big question for you. Ready? Oh God. Okay. Did you just have a movement of some sort? <laughs> no. It sounded very movementy. But anyway, I digress. All right. Ready? What do you know about romantic love today that directly contradicts something you thought you knew when you started this journey when you were at twenty-ish? Mm. Well, I mean, I, I, you know, first of all, when, when, when I started the journey, I think that, that something that I've felt for a long time, but maybe not, certainly not as early as 20, but something I've, I've come to is that uh, you don't need love. Love is not the most important thing in, in an enduring relationship. If what you really? want, if what is, if what you want is an enduring relationship. 
Love is not love is not going to keep you together. That the the, the 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 Beatles refrain "Love is all you need" is not true. Love is not love is not all you need. Wait, I think it was the Captain Antonio who said specifically, "Love, love will keep us together. together." Yeah, I think I think that was. I think I'm right about I that. that. Was, I think that was Neil Sedaka actually, and then Captain Antonio picked up on it. But okay, so, fair yeah. enough, Sedaka, the Tennils. Mm-hmm. So you're saying, well, okay. So I think I think an important part of what you just said is is missing from what you just said is a is some definition. Because if we, because it's confusing for the layperson, I include myself in this definition, in this uh, characterization, to understand what you mean. Then you say love is not the most important thing. So what? How would you define love in the romantic, in the partner context? How would I define love? I don't yeah, know. What how, is I love? Don't know, I don't know how to define love. Uh, I think that's a very, very difficult thing to define. But I, I just, I just know that if love is all you need. A lot more people would stay together, but it is no, no, not. But that's not all you need, and it is not the most important thing in keeping people together. But that's not what you said. You said love is not necessary for long-term relationship. I didn't say it's not necessary. Is that the language I used? I said it's Did not you, necessary. I, or I said, said it's not necessary. I said it's, I said it's not the most important thing. But so you think if it's I said important? It's not, if I said it's not necessary, that is that is not true. Although. I could argue that love's not necessary for an enduring relationship, but it's right. sure sure is nice. But that's not what I meant. If that's what I said, what okay. I, so what define I, love then in that context, so we know what you're saying is not the most important thing. Most people will say, "I love you." Most people use that regularly as a way to express how important the other is to them in their relationship. And you're saying love is not the most important thing in an enduring relationship. So what is love then? So we know in the context of yeah, it that not gentle massage, what it is. Think? Yeah, the, the 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 that gentle massage of your heart that you feel, the energy that reverberates and washes throughout your body and makes you feel warm and fuzzy and gives you a funny feeling in your tummy, that is not the thing that is going to keep people together. So that's what you're defining as love, that 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 feeling that you feel, that that bubbles, titillates, that makes you feel excitement, anticipation, nerves, all of that feeling. Well, is what I, you're defining I, as love. I think it's maybe easier for me to say, you know, Eros is not the thing that's going to keep people together. Okay. So the, the Greek, the Greek idea of of what we, I think, most commonly have come to think of as romantic love, which is this sort of infatuated, uh, all um, consuming, you know, um, um, passion that we have for another person. That love, that eros that we think of when we think about romantic love that is not that is not enough to keep people together that is not all you need that will not do it i agree with you on the idea that that is not enough but so when we're saying when we say to our partner i love you mm-hmm. okay let's put it let's be specific then so when you say to your partner i love you what do you mean and what values and practices are encompassed in that shorthand of i love you that go beyond the infatuation aspect. Define it more broadly then. Yeah. I, I mean, and when I say infatuation, that's not the only thing I said. I said passion and, you know, being consumed by another person, right? So, so de- be- being desirous. So there is a, you know, there is a, a deep and abiding, you know, I, I, the thing that I'm afraid of is falling into some, some kind of tautological definition here where I'm just saying, well, love, love is love. But you know, yeah, that's not what I asked you though. I asked I, you what, right. 
So beyond well, infatuation. Well, but you, what but, are the- but, yeah, but you said, but you, but you said two different things, and and they're very different answers. One is what are the practices, and then the other one is what are the values. But but love is wait, the value. Wait. Well, wait, let me, let me, but let me, let me clarify that because I, you, you, you're suggesting I said two different things. I don't think I did. I think I, what I'm saying is one unified thing is that love is not. I think we've established by your statement. And I agree with that. Love is more. Love must be more than just that infatuation, that feeling for it to sustain a relationship. You're saying love is not enough. I'm saying maybe we're defined. This is maybe we're having a de- definitional issue. I'm saying love is a broader con- a broader definition of love is required for a relationship to be meaningful and sustained over time than the than the narrow definition that you put up in, in the love is not enough. I'm saying love can be enough if we define love in a different way than we define it in the narrow way that you the definition you brought to it. Does that uh, make well, sense? If, yes. You? If you define love as um, uh, respect and uh, healthy communication and curiosity about somebody else's experience, if you define all of those things as love, then sure, of course, but you can then. Well, no, no, not sure. No, no, not sure. Of course. I think that's unfair. I think you're diminishing the, uh, this, uh, the idea of love. And I think culturally we have diminished and, and undervalued the notion of what love actually is, because I think when we say, and here's the problem, I think when we, and your answer supports what I'm saying, your initial answer about infatuation. When we say love, we, we make this narrowing definition, which I think you did, which is like love is, love is not enough, which was your thing and the song and the whole thing. Love is not enough because love is only just infatuation and the titillation and the sexual ex- experience perhaps. But, but I'm saying what we, when we say I love you to somebody, we're saying a lot of other things. And that's why I said about the practices and about the values underneath that, that is a, that is a healthier and a more reasonable and a more re- realistic definition of what we mean when we say, I love you. We always narrow it to the Valentine's Day definition versus broadening it to include the practices and the values and the feelings and the sex and the, t- and the friendship and all of those things. That's not just throwing everything in a pot. That's specifically saying, when I say I love you to my partner, this is actually what it goes into that. And I think, like to just finish this passionate point I'm making, and I think if we held this broader, more all-encompassing but meaningful definition of love in our practices and in our discussions and in our literature and our pop psychology bullshit about it, I think we'd have healthier relationships. And not not put it into just like, oh, it's just the song thing. Well, I love you. Or it's just the standard thing. I love you. It just means the infatuation. Does, do, do you understand what I'm saying? I do. I mean, I think that you, I think you, you kind of uh, reduced what I was saying to something titillating. And that's not what I meant. But yes, I understand what you mean. So, so that's and, what and, I want to talk even, about today. I, but, and even so... You know, even even in the broadest definition of love, but it's not broad for broad's sake. It's broad for reality's sake, for actually giving it a richer, more substantive definition that is sustaining and that is realistic and practical based on our experience. It's not just let's throw everything in there and hope something sticks. It's let's put in all the pieces to love that actually define what we mean. Because when we say I love you, we I mean, we mean different things. If we're in the middle of having an orgasm with somebody and we say, oh, I love you, you know, we're inspired by something else or if we're in a tender moment. But the point is in a relationship, and that's what you see, you set up, this idea of the long-term relationship for a relationship with a partner to last over time, our definition of love has to be 
broader and include all the values that we all the values that we value in the other and the experience of the relationship together and that starts with a, de- a broad definition and then what in, in under that definition you have the practices that support it all right the values so that support it well, well right but what i'm saying is i i i'm i might be i might love someone deeply and have and have we may share different values that um that are and the and the and the particular values that are different for us, if they are values that are cherished, that may not then we may not be able to stay together. Okay, okay. So that that's not that love doesn't work in terms of relationship. There's many kinds of love, and over the course of this season, we will talk about different kinds of love. Friendship is a kind of love. Um, you know, parent child is a kind of love, right? These are all mm-hmm. different. Thea, Storje, yes. And they have different practice, and and often there's similar aspects to them, but they have different practices. So today we're talking specifically about romantic love. Yeah, and, but that's and, the so point, that's- right? But that's the point. You said romantic love, and when we talk about romantic love, as opposed to you know, I mean, I, I, again, you're you're. I guess you you need to define the term your terms for what what it is we're talking about. I, I, I'm so yeah. You, so, when you, so when you say romantic love, what what do you mean? What's, I mean, what is romantic love? Okay, excellent question. Romantic love is the love with your partner, with that person that you spend most of your time with, that you, 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 your husband, wife, or partner, whatever language you use, the person that you walk through life with more so than with anyone else. And to me, that involves both a, a physical uh, a component, a sexual component, an intimacy component, a friendship component, you know, multiple, com- multiple components. Whereas uh, friendship love, doesn't involve all of those components or and it's not and let me just clarify to 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 speak to an objection it's not that the person your partner you call your partner has to has to satisfy every need you have i think this is also part of the problem we have in in this notion of romantic love and it's one of the false promises and i want to talk about this too in more depth the false promises of romantic love in our culture right what we're taught about romantic love what we're taught through film and movies and disneyfication and hallmarkification right and and all of the the, the books that we read you know um, love promises that you'll find someone that will fulfill every need you have and that you will meld into one being and become one thing right i mean i think most of us know whether we're in a relationship or not that that's just not true it's not healthy either and it doesn't happen right yes so so let's talk. So let's start there. Let's start with that point. Let's talk about what people are promised in this notion of romantic love, the, the partner love, the marriage love, whatever, you know, whatever. Well, what people are promised is happily ever after, except that right. in, in all, but, but that's a, that is a fairy tale. Literally, it's a fairy tale. Yes. And, and in those fairy tales, they never show you what happily ever after looks like. No that's one right. Ever, they only the fairy tale never tell you how to do happily ever after. That's right. Right. That's that's why all of that shit is very unhelpful. But that's what we're most of us are given by the time, let's say, for the as an arbitrary thing, by the time we go off to college or you know, we're 18 and become an adult, we've been fed mostly that that steady stream of happily ever after in various forms, right? Yes. Isn't that what you say most of us have been agree with most yes. of us? Fed. Yes. Right. So fed. Well, we've been force, fed a steady- force fed. I might even well, force-fed or not force-fed, just culturally fed. We don't have a choice. We don't get to opt out of the culturally fed information as a ten-year-old. 
nobody's sitting there as a 10 year old saying, you know what? This doesn't seem right to me. I, I think we should not watch Netflix ever again because all it's doing is giving me a false sense of love. Most 10 year olds don't sit around having that conversation. Right. Yeah. I think you, you could say most of us have been incited into our um, whatever beliefs we hold about, about romantic love. Right. So, which then suggests we have to spend at least a, a significant portion of the first part of our adulthood unlearning or learning something new to build a foundation for healthy relationships. Would you agree with that statement? I would. <laughs> now we're rolling. We're rolling here. I feel a sense of fluidity. And so let's just... Let's I'm just not really comfortable when you st start talking about fluids on this show, but... I hear you. But go ahead. I am, I just want to, for full disclosure, not wearing pants. But <laughs> okay, excellent. But I, I want to say this. I've spent most of the pandemic not wearing pants because you know what I've discovered? Nobody knows and nobody cares. No, that's not it. Life is much more comfortable. Without pants. Not, without pants. Yeah. It's just more relaxed. Am I wrong? Uh, it depends on the temperature. The, you mean the, the actual physical temperature? Or the, <laughs> yeah, the, temperature, temperature. Of the uh, temperature of the air, yeah. 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 Well, I, you know, in pants, the, pants have a place. I think pants have a place in the world, sure. But when you're alone for 10 months and you're just living in a, an apartment or a house, I think pants have much less of a place. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I am more comfortable without pants. I mean, this conversation is going way off, off track on many levels, but I am much more comfortable these days without pants. And I, I just feel a, kind of a, like, why shouldn't we be comfortable in this pandemic era? What is more important than feeling comfortable? Well, health, you could argue. Eating, yeah, yeah. There, yeah, sure, a couple of other things, whatever. But anyway, Chuck let's shelter. go. Yeah. Chuck, seafood? What did you say? Shelter. Oh, I thought you said seafood. Okay, yeah. sure, seafood, shelter, whatever. Pick your poison. What, what, what else does romantic love promise us besides the happily ever after, which is the big thing? Like on, on a day-to-day -day level, on a practical level, like, and, and this, what, what does it promise us? in terms of our relationship. Romantic love promises us uh, fidelity. It promises us loyalty. It promises right. us safety. Mm -hmm. Ease. Mm -hmm. Right? It's supposed to be easy and it's supposed to just be natural. Mm -hmm. I, mean, that, I mean, we're really starting at a huge deficit, one could argue, in terms of having... It's amazing as many people stay in long-term relationships as they do, even though what, you know, the, whatever the divorce rate or the breakup rate is pretty high. But it's amazing as many people still stay in them. And the question then becomes, what percentage of the people who stay in long-term relationships are actually in healthy relationships? That's a different conversation. I'm not sure what the actual answer is to that. Yeah, I, I've always believed that 50%, well, well this, is, this is not a belief, this is statistical. 50% of people get in, a, in the United States get divorced. And I think an, probably another, at least 25% of the people who don't get divorced are just living unhappily yeah. together. Yeah, I think they have to be. Again, because of what we're saying here is the foundation that's been given us is very bad. Yeah. And I would argue that, that most of those people probably would tell you that they love their partner and that they're unhappy and they really can't live with them. Right. But do they, do they say that? You think that they say they love their partner because that's what, one, you're, what you're supposed to say. And there may be qualities about their partner they love, but they don't know. I mean, do they not know any? Do you think people just don't know any better? And they don't know well, how to do this, anything about it. This is the thing that I'm, I'm struggling with in your definition. Because everybody's understanding of love is different. I think yeah, we, but you know, we, we talked about this, I think, once. I mean, you, you, know, you're, you are wishing that more people 
understood love to be what you understand it to be or what you think it ought to be, but most people don't. No, I know, I'm, I'm not sure I completely agree with that, and I'll tell you why. I, because, because what we just prefaced this whole conversation with, I think most people's understanding of love is fairly similar. There's difference around the edges and nuance. Of course, by people's different lived experience makes it different. But most people's generalized understanding of romantic love is not different because we've all been raised in this same culture with all this same input. I don't think it's that different. I think some of the practices might be different and it's regional, it's local, whatever, the, and familial. Those things are different around the edges. But the, if you ask most people to define romantic love, so you I think saying, you get a pretty similar definition. So you're saying that if everybody could just define it differently, that, that, that then love would be enough to keep people together. But no, the, I'm not requires saying them, it requires them to practice it differently and well, that's for and, sure. and, and define it differently. I think it does require people to practice it differently because I think the practices we've been taught, which we just talked about, are not helpful in terms of staying together and being in a healthy relationship. The practice of expectation of all those things you just list, the list you just mm -hmm. went off on are not are not healthy. They're unreal and they're not realistic. Well, I think I think this is the I think if I may, let let me let me tell you, you the, let me tell you the point that I think you you are making. Okay, I think the point that you you want to make here. I'm going to take a drink now. Yeah, I think the point you want to make here, and I think that this is a fantastic point. I thought my point that I'm didn't make that I'm about to make through you is a fantastic point. It is once once I make it for you you will see how, how great a point this is, uh -huh. is that love cannot be just a feeling. It has to be a practice. I That's think- right. I, I think, think I did make that point, but go no, on. No, I don't think you made it quite as, as well as I just made it or as pithily. <laughs> I think, but I, I think that- um, because then I, I think, but I think that that's I, part. I, but I think that's part of what's 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 getting uh, what we are getting tangled up in in our conversation is. I think for most people, love is a feeling. Yes, that's right, and, and, and not a practice. But that contradicts what you said before that most everybody sees love differently. I disagree. I think every most people see love similarly. That love, they would say, love is the feeling I have. Yes, but, but I'm saying whatever that feeling is, and this goes back to our insane conversation about colors and what you can see. I don't know what you're feeling. If you're feeling what I'm feeling, it, it's going to be a different feeling, but we both understand it as love. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, but it's that's not that different. I, I would argue it's not that different because we've all been pummeled with this steady diet of the same bullshit. So I don't think it's that different. I think you want it to be different because everybody's lived experience is different. And I agree, everybody's lived experience is different. But on these big core values that people are taught in these big cultural ways that we all internalize, all of us, because we live in the same culture, being taught the same things over and over again, I think this notion of love is similar. And so it is a feeling. And I've always said from years back, way before I ever became a therapist, that love is an action, not just a feeling, right? It's the combination of feeling and action. And, I, and through my work as a therapist, I've come up with this idea, what you just said and agree very strongly, that a way to describe that action is through what are the practices of love? What do you do every day performing, acting out, enacting that feeling that is supportive of the other, of the relationship? Right. Mm -hmm. I think I said that beautifully. <laughs> Narcissist. All right. Now, I'm going to say what you just said, but I think I'm going to say it a little bit better. And it goes a little something 
like this. Is this the channeling your father bit, the narcissism? Ooh, that was, that was a little too close to home. Too soon? I don't know. <laughs> no, not too soon. As a 40-year-old, too soon, by the way. But anyway, it's funny. To me, it's funny. Yeah. Tell so me. Go, um, go on. Okay, so tell me then, as an experienced practitioner of love, who's currently in a you know moderately long-term relationship, tell me what you think the three top practices of healthy romantic love are. I, I see again. My, like they they might be my top practices, but they they may not yeah. necessarily. Can I make a, show can up I make a point way? to you? What? about the world when i'm talking to a person and i ask them what their three top practices are you didn't i say what them- are your top right pra- you said what are the three top yeah practices, and and your here's top the, practices yeah right here's the thing about a podcast and about a therapist by the way these are two areas of what we like to call expertise and you're we're doing this having a conversation because we're both interested in each other's opinions and so as someone who is an expert culturally because that's what you are because you're both in a relationship and a trained therapist and those are qualities we attribute to that level of expert knowledge you just have to accept that when i ask you what are the three practices of love that are help most helpful to people that you can just answer that directly without qualifying it over and over and over again and constantly telling me that everybody's experience is different i know everybody's experience is different everybody knows everybody's experience is different but there are practices that are helpful in a universal way for instance i'll just give you an example if i say what's a healthy practice of being a human being in a society and your answer is well everybody's different yeah great but no, i would say no 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 blah 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 blah, blah. well you, except, language matters you said what are the three and i said and if you had said what are your three that would have uh, been different okay so name or me what three, are three I, that's what i said uh, what are the three practice top yeah. three yeah, stop talking that, for a second. That, no, you've been talking for five minutes. Stop talking for a second. I said, what are the top three practices that are helpful in a relationship? Just give me three that you think That's are helpful. Than just give me three, then give me the top three. I can give you three. I can give you three. Three is different than the top three. I'll give you three. You think, what I'll give do you three. think? I'll give what you three. do you think are the top three? No, I'm practices. not going to. I'm going to give you three, and then you can tell me what you think the top three are. I will give you three. So you're going to give me three. So this could be like the 14th, 15th, and 16th best practice. You I don't, don't want to go to the best. I don't rank them. I'll give you. I'll give you, you some. Don't rank I'll them. You, you're full of shit. I'll give you good ones. I'll give you really, really good ones. Okay. So give me the third, sixth, and ninth best practice for for romantic love. Go but, ahead. But those practices only work if they work for both people, and if both yeah. people value those practices in the same way. Yeah. So, so that's my point. Yeah, not, except, not everybody's different. This is a relational issue. Do you think that most people, the, almost 99% of the people would say that kindness is an important practice of living in a society or no? Yes. Do you think pe- most people would say honesty is? Most people? Yes. Okay, that's all I'm asking you here. Not This isn't rocket sciences. Yes, everybody experiences this differently. Kindness, compassion. Okay, so describe to me what that looks like in in a romantic relationship over time. Curiosity. Give me an example of that. Uh, In a romantic relationship over time, that looks like when my partner says something to me uh, that I have a... Uh, uh, that I bristle at, that before I I 
you know, defend myself, if I feel attacked, I first try to understand and I don't necessarily tell, I, I, I check the story that I'm telling myself and, and, and ask myself, is this a story I'm making up? Is this based on something historical between the two of us or is this, is this possibly something different? And I check in to make sure that I'm understanding where, where my partner's coming from. So checking with yourself or checking with her or both? Both. Okay. So this this suggests to me a value or an idea that says like, I need to think and assess before I just react instinctively. Yes. It's about creating, to, to borrow from Viktor Frankl, it's about putting space uh, between stimulus and response. Right. That to me seems like an excellent value for anybody in almost any circumstance to take up. Okay, give me another one. Compassion. Now, how, what does that look like? That looks like um compassion. It looks like it That's looks like it, it looks I know it's tautological. I did that on purpose. It, <laughs> it's that that looks like not always trying to fix something, but showing that what matters to your partner matters to you and that you care about it. Okay, so another way to say that would be is like being there, being present for the other, just listening. Again, just being there without necessarily in that experience having to do something or to do something in a way that says like, I know what's best for you, which often people do in a relationship, right? When they want to fix something, they're like, I know what's best. Let me fix it for you, even if that's not what you asked me for or what you might need. Because I didn't check in with you, I just did it because I thought I knew what was best for you. That's yeah. sometimes what that looks like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm saying that sometimes what we've been taught, especially as men, is somebody tells you, your, your wife, your partner tells you something's going wrong, and your first response is often to tell her how she can fix it or to actually even just go and fix it without without her involvement, which which suggests you're valuing your own experience and your own ideas over the relationship or what your partner's or your partner's experience, right? Mm -hmm. I'm just I'm just giving the example of what people often do and what again in contrast to what would be healthier. What we've uh, been you know taught what? First, go ahead. Well, I was going to say I'll 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 t give you another example of what compassion might look like. Okay. It's it's making your partner's problems your problems too, or making your partner's like prop or making your partner's problems the relationship's problems and not just your partner's problems. Right. Oh, I think that that's key. I think you just hit on something that's really important and what I've seen in my experience in my life is that this idea to tell your partner that their problems are their problems is is fairly common, I think. I think we've been taught that everybody has their own shit and they're supposed to work that out on their own. Correct. I think that's what supports that idea. I hear it over and over. Like, what is your response to the curiosity when you hear some man say that? I, I say, do you want to be in a standoff or you want to be in a relationship? I like that too. You want to be in a standoff? Then yeah, then you make her problems her problems, and then that. But that leads to to blame and accusation. And if what you want is to be in a relationship, then those problems are the relationship's problems. Mm -hmm. And so, um, um, a healthier practice in a relationship. It, after that is like, so seeing it as the relationship problem and then saying like, so how can I be supportive in, in us moving together to solve this problem or to m diminish the power of this problem, something yeah. like that, right? Yeah, right. So you're taking on the problem as an ally with your partner as opposed to 
creating a separation between your partner by saying, that's your problem, not my problem. You fix it and then come back to me and tell me it's done. Absolutely about allyship. Yeah, that's a, that's a much, I think that's a much healthier way to look at it, to look at relationship and the problems of relationships is to shift from me against my partner to me and my partner against that thing that is getting in the way. Whether that thing is her childhood, my childhood, money, sex, whatever the thing yeah. is. Anger, frustration, whatever. Bargaining, depression, anger, denial, the law firm. Sure, from all that jazz. Um, anyway, that's a, a mixing of the <laughs> Kubler-Ross thing and the uh, yeah. love thing. But I and, just like yeah. that. Mm -hmm. And Roy Scheider, who I have to say, maybe his best role ever as an actor. Yeah, probably. Brilliant. That was a brilliant movie. That was from so long ago. But all right. So that's, uh, what did we do now? We did Compassion. What was the first one we did? Uh, curiosity. Curiosity, Compassion. And what was the third one you said? I said Kindness. I think I said Kindness, but. Yeah, okay. Well, so, what, so what, is, I don't know. what does kindness look like in the relationship versus not kindness? Well, I think kindness is, 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 I mean, it's reflected either in, in, you know, language or deeds, but I mean, it's a, it's a generosity of spirit. It's, it is a, it is a often, um, comes with the intention of not hurting someone, not saying anything or doing anything that you know will, uh, you know, intentionally, uh, will c create, um, mm -hmm. harm. But, uh, I think even more than that is, what will I guess a simple way of saying it is what will make your partner feel good right so so that to me suggests another thing that we've been taught so profoundly I mean so beaten into our heads is that we always look mm -hmm. for what's wrong first I think I think we're taught to look for what's wrong and so in the looking for what's wrong especially in a relationship context we're always then sort of we're not thinking about the feelings or the experience of our partner. We're, we're again going to that fix it thing. We're going to like, okay, so let me tell you what's wrong. Let me identify it for you, which in and of itself can can often be very unkind because it can often be fe feel like an attack on somebody, as opposed to the first two components of what we're discussing here: being curious about somebody's experience mm -hmm. and then being compassionate toward that experience. I think we're taught. I think this is true of men more so historically at least is to is to fix fixing problems often obscures our ability to see the other's experience it negates the actual experience of the other and just puts the problem as a focus and so we go at the problem usually through the other person mm -hmm. which is where the pain comes in but you know the curiosity you know also I, mean? I think goes a long way to stopping the that yeah. impulse to fix because you can be, because if you're curious about what your partner I think needs, right. maybe they don't need you to fix something. And we're just sort of, we just sort of glommed onto this idea about fixing stuff, but it might be anything, you know? Um, yeah. Right. You know, if you're curious, if you bring curiosity, then it will be clearer to you whether or not, you know, what is needed. I think that's true. I, I, I've always believed that curiosity was sort of the, the foundational value that supports all the other ones because when you're when you situate your mind in a position of curiosity you tend to be much more open and much more interested in learning as opposed to judging or proclaiming or deciding 
And I think the quality of openness and interest creates a relational space much more so than the quality of knowing and fixing and, 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 you know, uncertainty, which is in many ways the opposite yeah. of curiosity. Yeah. Certainty, I would say, in many ways, is the opposite of curiosity. And I think that's one of, that's so much of part of, again, that diet that we're fed about romantic love is supposed to have certainty to it, right? You said it earlier. You said, you know, you're supposed to expect like this loyalty mm -hmm. and all these things. There's a certainty to that, right? There's no ambiguity to that. There's no, there's no working on that. There's no, let's figure, let's, also to your point about everybody's experience being different, let's talk about the things that we each want out of a relationship and how our past may impact how we see that. So let's try and come to a shared set of terms, a way that we can talk to each other so we're not hurting each other without even mm -hmm. realizing it. That because people, I think we that hurt each other without, of course too. we hurt each other we, without realizing it. But I mean, part of that I think is because we, we aren't curious enough when we're, we're in a relationship with the other, with another person, about their experience, about how things affect them, about how what I do, what I do in a relationship affects you in ways that maybe you don't say because they're so triggering or, or hurtful to you, to the other person. Like we have to always be curious about the other's experience and about our own in a kind of a transparent way. I think that's, for me, that's sort of one of the key things I've learned over time, which I didn't understand at all when yeah, I was in my 20s. I certainly didn't understand that in my 20s. I didn't understand shit in my 20s. Well, I think a lot, most of us didn't. Although I will say that you understood more than I did in your 20s about certain things in this I area. mean, I think, I, I mean, I, some things. I, perhaps that's true. And I, I've changed what, what, <laughs> what I know has changed, you know? Yes. Well, from my perspective, my 20s, you knew a lot more. But from my perspective now, what you knew a lot, what I thought right. you knew a lot better was still shit. Yeah. That's, it just seemed a lot better than the yeah. shit I knew because your, your, your presentation of the shit had a much cleaner quality to it. Mm. <laughs> that's what I would say. My bullshit in my 20s came, you know, was all out of my, you know, fear and, and insecurity of childhood and, and very unsafe feeling, you know, trying to create something that I had no frame for. You had more frame and more experience in some levels of relationship than I did. And you presented in a way that made it, it sound so appealing, but I think a lot of it was crap. Whereas mm. my crap felt like crap from the beginning. Yeah. Does that make sense? I, I was going to say, uh, you know, I, I, I part, part of this, I, I was going to, I was going to go back in time and say, uh, you know, I wish X, Y, and Z. And, and, and then part of my brain thought like, you know, that's just yeah. the path to hell. Any, any, any thought train that you jump on where you think like, you yes. know, if only I had had sort of this knowledge instead of that knowledge is just, that's, that's, that, you know, that's just kind of stupid right. and futile. Well, it's just not helpful in any way. In fact, it's harmful in many, many ways. Also, here's the other thing about that. I think about this a lot. And it's analogous to line like a golf tournament. Like if you watch a golf tournament, most people think golf is boring. But if you watch a golf tournament and you see somebody miss a putt on the last hole of the tournament and you say, God, if you'd only made that putt. But, you know, there were 71 other holes. And on Thursday in hole six, if you had made that putt, he would have been in the same position, right? But we only see the thing that highlight stands out for us. So I think in our memory, this is why memory can be dangerous in this way for us. And what you just said is so right on to me. It's just not helpful in any way because you can look back and you say, God, if only I had known this in this moment, you only see the moments that stand out for you. 
there are a thousand other moments that we don't remember that could have led us in a different direction too. So there's no, it's just an, yeah. it's an unhelpful. Well, it's game. interesting because I was, I've always been a very curious person and I've always been a very loving person, but I haven't always managed to combine those simultaneously in a relationship um, until I, I think until recently. Yeah. What, talk, talk more about that. How, what, what does that look like? Or how did you, what did that look like? And what does it look like now? Connecting those two things. Well, the, the the curiosity I have, the curiosity that I had, didn't support the relationship. It's it's sort of it supported it's it supported mm-hmm. me and my own personal development. Um, I think it was uh, often. I think it was it, it, it was. I think attractive to partners, and I think I was curious about them, but I wasn't curious in ways that helped the relationship. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't, I don't, I didn't learn how to do that until really in the last, you know, 10 years. How did that shift um, happen? Uh, that shift mm-hmm. happened uh, because, because my first marriage fell apart and I, uh, yeah. I went back to school and I started thinking about relationships in a different way. And I wanted, I didn't want to repeat in my next relationship or relationships um what i had you know i don't want to say gotten wrong in my in my first relationship that's perhaps not the best way of describing it but it it, it, i didn't want to repeat the things that Mm -hmm. um i think led to that the demise of that relationship um and had i been thoughtful about them earlier you know maybe would have changed Here's the outcome of that relationship. Right. So you knew the relationship ended and you knew. It yeah, didn't I knew, go well. I knew it didn't go it well. I, I did was you know really at the time clear on you, that. I was clear that it did not go well. But did you know at the time why? Like, did you have a deep understanding of why? Or did it take the going back to school and really thinking about it in a new way to, to be able to look at and say, oh, now I really understand why? Did you understand well, at there the were certain time or did it come later? And I would say like it went very well. Until it didn't go. <laughs> yes. It was extremely healthy right up until I got apart. cancer. I, I understood um uh I understood what the 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 rust of the relationship, the, the part of the relationship that was corrosive and ate away at the uh, undercarriage of, of our relationship. I understood what or I thought I understood what those things were. Um, I didn't understand what things I could have done differently. The rust you describe, without specifically saying what that was, because you don't have to, but the rust, was that something you were aware of when the relationship started? Like, this is a potential problem area? Or is that rust that developed over time in the relationship by each of you or either of you not attending to it as the relationship was developing? Uh, some of both. Some of both. You know, my experience is, is is that I very rarely have, maybe never met anybody, unless it's something like cheating, you know, uh, met anybody where the problem that, that ultimately ends up driving people apart wasn't there from the beginning. And, and you know, people think like, I'll fix it, right. I'll get it, used yeah. to it, I'll change it, I'll, it, it, it won't matter. Yeah, it I'll diminish it. it. It's not that exactly. big deal. That's interesting because that, again, sort of speaks to the point just coming full circle that I think we brought up in the beginning, which is what we're taught 
and how we're fed this steady diet of how to look at relationship. And one of the things I think we're fed again is this sort right. of notion that it's supposed to be easy and and I think women are fed, at least when we were younger, especially, like you can fix it with you can fix a man. Like you can there are things you can mm -hmm. fix about him once he gets in a relationship. This might not be as true today as it was in terms of the way it's taught, but it was definitely taught when we were teenagers that you you know women can fix men and there was an expectation that men were broken in certain yeah, ways. And, 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 and I, I think that that is that is you. a generalization that by and large holds up. I do think that there are men who think that they can fix women too. Um, I, you know, I, I, yeah. I think I was, I think I, I'm, I'm not going to fix them. Yeah. Or, 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 teach or, them. or you know, maybe I mean, you to my dismay, teach. I mean, thinking back, you know, rescue in some way, you know? Um, well, I mean, let me just speak to that for a second. Cause I think your definition of that and mine are different in this context. Cause I think you thought you could rescue them. I think but not from the place of thinking that you were so fucked up that the only person you could help be with was someone who needed no, that to is be not rescued because they also were so fucked up. Yeah, no. Right? No, right, I'm right, saying right. like that's more of my experience because coming from the childhood I had, which was so hidden, my the pain of my mm -hmm. childhood was so hidden from everybody who knew me. Um, the actual experience of my childhood was so hidden from everybody who knew me. I felt when I went into adulthood mm -hmm. that I was so internally fucked up and didn't have any frame of reference for how to fix mm -hmm. that or how to talk about it or how to even understand it. But I think what I looked for initially was women who needed to, from what you mm -hmm. just said, be rescued or, or helped because I thought mm -hmm. they wouldn't then see how fucked up I was because mm -hmm. they were struggling. And I could bring something to that, although I don't think in retrospect I could bring much to that. Um, right. But right. that's what I thought at the time. So that's an interesting mm -hmm. right, exactly. similarity and yet um, and, and I was just going to make a, a point that I've now forgotten. <laughs> mm. Okay. Yeah. Close your eyes. Turn around yeah. and spit three times into the What are we talking about? And your memory will come back. The stuff, yeah, the, the um, rust of a relationship. Nuts, yeah. Rust and rescue. Rust and rescue. Mm -hmm. Much like rupture and repair. Similar mm -hmm. idea in psychology. Rust and rescue. You know what line I love? Um, mm -hmm. they're from the old mm -hmm. Willy Wonka movie, the original one with Gene Wilder. When uh, so, somebody, one of the dads, I think a Veruca Salt's dad says to Augustus Gloop's dad, or my, I might have the reverse. Says, oh, what business are you in? He says, <laughs> I, do, I do remember that. Funny, just a nothing line, but it just stands out with me. And so it makes me yeah. laugh every time I hear it. I, I do remember Nuts. that. I just thought that was so funny. Okay, quick, quick question about my life. Uh, do you remember what my father's favorite? I think I do. Nut I think was? it was a cashew. That's correct. The cashew, uh -huh. or as my father would say, cashew. Um, the cashew yeah. was the the nut of my of my house, and. To this day, it's still the only nut. I actually, if I ever buy nuts, and I don't yeah. do that very often, but I will buy some it's a great nuts because they're still it's a great the tasting nut. nuts. That's oh, a great nut. What a great nut! Oh, yeah, yeah. What a great! It's a great nut. Is there a better a nut, nut? Really, I don't think nut. so. Pistachio, kind no, of a cool nut, but all, no, all, it's almond, not a almonds. But if the, only if they're roasted. Almond, Although cashew. cashews really need to be roasted, also, I think. You know, you you, you if you honey roasted nut, my friend, you, you're going to get some flavor yeah. there. I'm a huge honey roasted nut fan. You know, Trader Joe's makes this one product. It's got this the nut with that sesame seed and honey roasted thing. I, I haven't do. had it in years. Damn good. 
You know what I'm talking it's about? It's hard to stop eating those things. You can't stop. It's like <laughs> yeah, 60,000 calories true. in that bag. <laughs> and yet, there are actually less calories in that bag. I actually bag of a third leg. In a five pound bag of M&M. Huh? Fewer calories in M&M's. I love M&M's too, though. I like the M&M peanut. Not yeah. a huge no, fan of the regular You gotta M&Ms. have the nut. It feels a little boring to me. Well, let me ask you a question about the M&M peanut. When I eat M&M peanuts, I will suck on the 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 piece for like a minute and a half yeah. to to kind of absorb the outer shell. And then I will bite the, in my mouth. I will bite the outer shell off at that point and keep the rest of the chocolate covered nut on the side of my mouth while I chew that. And then in my mouth, all of this is happening. And then I will bite the chocolate off the nut. And then you'll spit the nut out. This is like five easy pieces. Like, do you have any? Do you, ha- do you have any M and M's? Good. Give yeah. me. Get, skip the kill it coating. Skip the peanut. Just give me the chocolate. Yeah, but I go through that process every time. It takes me about an hour and a half yeah. to eat a small bag of M M&M and M peanuts because I have a I have a meticulous process for eating them, much like the Kit Kat bar, where like I think everybody I eat the chocolate first on the outside, biting it out. Then I eat I, one layer at a time. I don't do that. Uh, it's shitty from chocolate. From the bottom to the then top. Then I would just be eating shitty chocolate. No, I eat the whole. I eat the I whole think- cookie. Well, that's it's the combination of flavors. Although I, I yeah. Yeah, although I like Twix more than I've I never like heard Kit Kat anyway. Yeah, never been a big fan of the Twix. I that, also, I don't, I don't eat coconut. Coconut so. and Twix. There's that. No, no, no coconut. I'm just saying I don't like coconut. I just went to the Peter Paul Almond Joy's got nuts. Peter Paul Mounds don't. I just because... went to that '70s commercial about the thing. One of those bars has coconut. Sometimes you don't. Yeah. Sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes you don't. You should yeah. do a podcast just on '70s commercials. Yeah, you know what we should do. A but podcast anyway, on though is uh, movie therapy, cinema therapy. That's basically the definition of my life. I don't know. Are you talking about an actual formal process, or just no talking about my process. experience in the world? Because the last ten months have killed my joy. My my single greatest hobby and thing I love to do is go to the movies. It's been since I was as, as young as I can remember, the earliest memories I have of my father taking us on weekends when we were five and six to movie, to three movies in one day in Westwood, going from the Bruin Theater to the Village Theater to the National Theater and seeing in three different move, giant movie theaters, three movies in one day. That was part of the weekend daddy divorce sort of my childhood. And, and since that time, that's how I've always found joy and, and through sadness and joy in the movies. Love that feeling of walking into a theater, buying me some goobers, sitting in, you know, kind of the backside-ish area of the movie theater. How'd you eat the goobers? Aisle. And uh, and the same way I ate the M&M, by the way, every goober would start the, put one in my mouth and then eat the chocolate around the nut first and then the nut after and then break the nut in half and then eat each piece individually. Did You didn't even know. You've known me all this time. You didn't know I had all this meticulous no, ways of eating you, candy. You are deeply troubled. <laughs> yeah, you tell me about it. Well, by the way, you know, you say that jokingly, but a lot of those practices started when I was alone and and depressed as a child sitting in a dark movie theater. That's where I first learned to eat that way because it it kept my brain active, eating through that candy, taking that process mm. through that candy. It kept me from feeling bad. It's actually is a coping mechanism for a horrific mm. feeling of loneliness and isolation. So it does come out of that, strangely. I never actually said that before in my life or thought that through as mm-hmm. much as it just crystallized for me in this moment, truly. But that's where that all those practices started when I was a kid, when I was alone and didn't know what to do and had nobody to talk to and, and had no parents at home because they were just out and was just on my own. That's where all those practices started in the dark movie theater somewhere. It was a safe space. Mm. It was quiet and dark and nobody could mm. see you. Yeah, that sounds sad at all, does it? And then I was seven and my mm-hmm. father took me to see The Godfather. So there you go. <laughs> 
Anyway, what else do you have to say for yourself, you you lover, lover of love? You know, my last my last very serious girlfriend once called me the Dalai Lama of love. That's true. I'm what not making nice, that up. What a, what a nice thing to say. That's still my favorite nickname. Yeah. I'm not sure what it means, but I love it. It's a great nickname. I would like that to be mm-hmm. on my business card someday, the Dalai Lama of love, although there might be copyright issues. But anyway. My daughter just calls you Kiki. Yeah. That's that's also beautiful. Honestly, between the Dalai Lama how, of how love is your daughter? and Kiki, Growing I think up? Kiki is a much more fun nickname. <laughs> I really think it depends on the crowd. It's a crowd-centric uh, mm-hmm. kind of uh, definition because uh, there's nothing like being called the Dalai Lama of love, and especially in certain mm-hmm. contexts, which I will not speak to in this moment. But anyway, I think we've really nailed the issue of romantic love. I think we've figured it out. I think we've solved it. I think we're ready to move on. Do you have any final thoughts? This could be such a huge conversation, a much, much bigger conversation. Sure. I think we have only. What you're saying is we've only scratched the surface. What 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 other aspects of romantic love do you think could be in the next conversation? Well, I mean, where would you go from here? Any one of these sort of little offshoots, you know, in terms of like the thing that you you brought up about it, it it being easy. People think it's it's supposed to be easy. The way I think of it sometimes is like, yeah, if it's right. I think people think again, you know, yeah, but if it's right, it shouldn't be this hard. I've heard that a thousand times if I've heard it once. And again, that is just, that is something that we have been incited to believe by media and literature and car commercials. Cinema. Marketing. Yeah. Yeah. And and, And Hallmark commercials. Yeah. It's Madison Avenue and, and media. It's all interconnected, interrelated. Damn. We've solved it. About to leave. What's making you insane this week? Everything. Everything this week made me insane. Um, you know, I, I want to move off the political insanity because I think I get lost in there. It's just mm-hmm. every little thing politically makes me insane right now. The, the hypocrisy, the level of, uh, it's just so frustrating to me. Yeah, well, I didn't say what's it's so deeply frustrating insane. to me. You know, you know, I was thinking about this. I, um, I made some rice the other day in a pot. I don't have a rice cooker, so I mm-hmm. used a pot. You know, the old-fashioned method. And the handle was metal. Mm-hmm. And you know that moment where I you do. forget that the handle is metal? And you should be using mm-hmm. a pot holder just to take the pot off the stove. That made me insane because I came very mm-hmm. close to burning the crap out of my hand. I caught it just as I was doing it, so I pulled mm-hmm. it off without any actual burn happening. That moment where you forget about but the that, that the, made you insane, or that was just yeah, a close call, and you were, you could hit yourself. Well, we all have we all have different mm. we all have different levels of. Insanity. I used to. Uh, Let's do an ASMR video now. Um, Joshua. I, I, I used to have a, uh, no, a, a girlfriend who, um, who was Chinese and a Chinese American. Uh, although she, she was not, uh, yeah, I remember her. Shan. I remember her. Yeah. I know her name. Yeah. I was yeah, going to no, say Shan. She, she was lovely. Out her. And she, right I, I think she was actually not born in the States, uh, is my memory, but, um, but she was, she grew up here mm-hmm. and, um, I one time I was just dead set on making rice, like the be- I wanted to make the best rice uh, you know imaginable, and I wanted to know, like what's the secret? What is the secret to making rice? How do you make how do you make rice? What's the real way? What's what's the? She said rice cooker. I said what about your grandmother? How does your grandmother make rice? Rice cooker. <laughs> you know what the first invention Marco was Polo. in Asia in eighteen sixty two. The rice cooker. Oh man! They invented the rice cooker. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a lot of cultural assumption in your part there. 
to absolutely something facts not in evidence as we say um yeah i uh, the first time i ever used a rice cooker was when i lived with you and uh jennifer you and jennifer the rice cooker up until that point i'd never used a rice cooker and i don't use one to this day it's you know easy it is to make rice two cups of water to one cup of rice bring it to a boil cover it turn it down to simmer 15 minutes perfect every time you really should get a rice cooker perfect <laughs> locks in the bagel ladies and gentlemen it always ends with rice i don't know do you know do you know I nothing made me insane salmon. this week yeah what can do you, you know do? do you know what made me feel incredibly good every time i hear so i listen to npr almost every morning i go in i make coffee i tell alexa to play npr and every time i hear somebody say president biden or Vice President Harris, I just feel fucking fantastic. It just, I feel so good. You know, it's funny you said that, because I was thinking before we got on the air today, I was thinking, I wonder if we should switch that segment of the show from what drives us nuts to what makes us feel hopeful. Maybe we should have a different kind of mindset moving forward. I mean, the what makes you nuts is more sort of dramatic in some level. But well, the what makes well, you why don't we why don't we, why don't we say whichever on one we want to say? You know what makes us what makes right, us insane is more likely to forward. be funny. That's that's the other thing, right? Yeah. Funny. Yeah. Certain yeah. things are most funny, of the things that make me hopeful funny. are not that funny. Yeah, I don't find hope funny yeah. at all. I find we're pain funny because don't find yeah. pain funny. Yeah, well, it's really painful. Yeah, I'm not wearing pants. Kenny Benjamin. Say your name. Who are you? This is Kenny Benjamin and Kenny Benjamin for Locks in the Bagel. <laughs> Good night, everybody. And he's not wearing pants. Do you want to die not wearing pants? Is that how you want to go out? Not I might. wearing pants. I might want to go out right. that way. I probably will go out that way. There, there, yeah. there are worse ways to die. Locks in the Bagel is a production of Kenjman Media. If you have a question you'd like us to answer on the air, or you'd like to make a comment, or you have a show idea for us, please leave us a voice message at... 503-770-0263. That number again? Okay. 503-770-0263. For Joshua Beckett, I'm Kenny Benjamin. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on Locks in the Bagel.